This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. In a sermon series on conversations that make a difference. Our second reading comes from John's Gospel. It is found on page 83 of your Pew Bible. We'll begin with John chapter 5, verse 1 through 14. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Bethsaida, or Bethsaida, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been cured, It is a Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your mat. But he answered them, The man who made me well said to me, Take up your mat and walk. They asked him, Who is him? Who is the man who said to you, take it up and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Do not sin any more so that nothing worse happens to you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you remember that day like it was yesterday. But now today we ask that you would speak to our lives. Whatever it is that holds us back from being whole and complete in you. We pray in Amen. Fred Craddock tells a story about a young pastor who goes to visit an older woman. She's near death, lying in a hospital, gasping for breath. And after visiting for a while, he says he needs to go and asks if she would like to pray. She replies, yes. And he asks, Well, what would you like us to pray for today? She says, well, I'd like to pray. I'd be healed, of course. The pastor looks shocked. But he goes into his preacher voice. Lord, 
we pray for your sustaining presence with this sick sister. And if it be thy will, we pray that she be restored to health and service. But if it's not your wish, but if it's not your will, we certainly hope that she will adjust to her circumstances. Amen. Suddenly, the old woman opens her eyes and sits up in bed. She throws off the covers, puts her feet on the floor, and says, I think I'm healed. And then she strides to the door and waltzes down the hall to the nurse's station saying, Just look at me! Look at me! The pastor, he quietly slips out of the room, goes down the elevator, out to his car, puts his hand on the handle, looks up at the sky and says, Don't you ever do that to me again. Now the woman knew what she wanted, but the pastor did not. What about you? In, in this story, we will find that there is a man. And he's not certain of what he really wants. So let's look now at the context that leads up to the conversation with Jesus. Jesus goes up to Jerusalem for a religious festival. And while he is there, he goes to the pool of Bethesda. Bethesda in Hebrew means house of mercy. We read in Psalm 41, happy are those who consider the poor, or blessed are those who pay attention to those who are in need. Jesus gives attention to those who are in need. When he came up to Jerusalem, he did not visit a palace, but a hospital. Bethesda, large pools that have been excavated as of uh, this past century, and they would cover a football field in their size. They were surrounded by four covered walkways and then a covered walkway separating the two pools. Colonnades and covering them were these walkways in which the invalids were placed. The blind, the lame, which means they were maimed, they were missing um, one of their extremities, and the, the paralyzed or stroke vis victims. Spring-fed pools would bubble up periodically, and it was the belief that this was an angel stirring the water. The first one who got into the water would be healed. We know of Lord's France and the number of sign of the healings that have taken place. But this is where invalids had a small chance, their last hope of being cured. And we Jesus comes to them. In Jesus, it is the kingdom of God drawing near. He comes to the forgotten, to the hopeless, to those who are in despair. Harvard-trained attorney Brian Stevenson wrote a New York Times bestseller that was named Just Mercy, recently made into a movie. And it's the true story of Brian's calling to 
give free legal counsel to those who are on death row, particularly in Alabama, where one in nine prisoners are released, are released because of wrongful, false conviction. Brian Stevenson considers the poor, the friendless, and the hopeless. And we see Jesus bringing the kingdom of God to those in need. Therefore, he finds the man at the pool. You will find such people in nursing homes, at the food bank, in homeless shelters. You will find them looking for sponsors with big brothers, big sisters, or circling their chairs in a support group for grief, or in a recovery program. Blessed are those who give attention to those who are in need. In verse 5 and 6, we find that one man was there who was infirmed for 38 years. And Jesus saw him lying there, knew he'd been there, knew he'd been there a long time. That word, he saw him, doesn't mean he glanced at him. It means that he saw him and he kept looking at him. He didn't turn away like most people would. At a scholarly gathering of Society of Biblical Literature, Dr. Dwight Peterson took the podium. He himself, a paraplegic, gave his lecture from a wheelchair. And he described the problems of this man's condition. He said, people moved him from place to place unless he crawled. Most of his income came from begging for charity or a little bit given from his family. And if he did not have bladder or bowel control, his hygiene problem would have been enormous. People would have stayed away from him. But Jesus drew near, and he found him, and he looked at him, and he kept looking. He knew he'd been there a long time, 38 years. I'd like you to think about 38 years ago. Who was the president? Ronald Reagan. The European Union had not yet been formed. Now, there are some who might have been a twinkle in your parents' eyes back then, but most of us know where we were and what we were doing. Now, Consider all that's taken place in 38 years and put yourself in this man's position. He is paralyzed on a bed all that time. In Luke 13, find a woman who's been bent over at the waist, her face looking down at the ground, unable to stand up or sit down or lie down without pain, Jesus knows the years of loss. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we find a woman who has suffered for 12 years with a hemorrhage. Jesus considers the poor and heals her. I don't know if any of you count years in terms of your loss. The loss of a child, the death of a spouse, the loss of your innocence, the end of a marriage, the loss of economic prosperity, or the end of your health. 
I don't know if you know that God keeps count of your sorrows. In Psalm 56, 8, we read, you, we read, you have kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your record? God keeps count with you. And this is where the conversation with Jesus begins. Jesus asks, do you want to be made well? Now, who would ask this? It's just perhaps a silly sounding question to an obvious answer. It's a little bit like asking a mother who's pushing a double stroller with identical children wearing identical clothes whether or not she has twins. Jesus asks an infirmed man who's lying at the only place for healing whether he wants to be well. Now that may sound a little cheeky, impolite, rude. Well, it's not. It's not because Jesus knows the power of identity. We read in verse 4, the invalids were there. It's actually a verb. Those who were being sick. Those were in just constantly sick. In verse 7, the man is identified as the sick man. It's an identity that he's had, and Jesus wants to know, do you want a new one? He asks the sick man if he wants the identity of being whole. Why wouldn't this man want to be whole? Because some prefer the predictability and the power that comes from neediness. To be whole would require a change in his real estate. He'd have to give up close to the pool's edge. It would be like camping in a state park and having to give up that tent site that's closest to the shower house and the toilets. I mean, does he dare risk this? To be whole would require a change of routine. He's accustomed to routine. A handout early in the morning, being carried to the pool during the day, another carrying back and a meal perhaps, bedded down in the corner of a small room until the next morning. There is security in predictability. Being well, well, it presents uncertainties. To be whole would require a change in his responsibilities. He'd have to get a job, buy his own food, and do his own walking. Did he want this? To be whole would require a change in his relationships. Require a change in his relationships. He would no longer be a victim of his circumstances. No longer could he blame others for not helping him sufficiently, nor could he envy them for having a better life. You may know some people who have a critical spirit. It's because they feel like they deserve it. They can hardly open their mouth without hurting someone else with their words. It's obvious such people suffer deep pain within themselves. To accept Jesus' offer of wholeness means giving up entitlement to a critical spirit. Some people choose bitterness 
over becoming whole. Jesus asks the man if he wants to be made whole, and the sick man does what? Gives him the reasons he cannot. He answers, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. I'm making my way down. Someone else gets ahead. This man has no one. It's not for lack of a good will. It's lack for a good friend. And some feel this way today. You may not have a living father or mother or one who is willing to help. You may not have a living spouse or an ally in the one you have. You may feel that no one understands the desperation that you endure. Does this man's response reflect you in any way? Besides having no one, this man sees the deck stacked against him. As soon as he's trying to get into the water, someone else cuts in on him. Like this sick man that you would give of why you cannot become whole. Do you know that in Jesus, the kingdom of God has come near? And he, Jesus, is that friend that you've been waiting for. So he asks one and only one question of each of us. Do you want to be whole? Do you? So we hear Jesus' response to the sick man. It wasn't what the young pastor said to the dying woman. I certainly hope you're going to adjust to your circumstances. Jesus instead says, stand up, take up your mat, and walk. In other words, get up. Pick up what you've been lying on and get going. Pick up what you've been lying on and get going. Jesus addresses the man's mind as much as his body. That's because these are the words of God. Jesus' words are sufficient to effect change and healing and restoration. His word is spiritual power. Now, think about the American colonists for a moment. They knew the power of thermal energy, its ability to boil water or soften iron. Could they fathom the ability of nuclear power? In the same way, Jesus speaks of spiritual power. It is perhaps more than we can comprehend, but it has its own ability to do what is being spoken. Stand up, take your mat and walk. And at once the man was made well, he took up his mat and began to walk. The conversation then resumes. Verse 14. Jesus finds the man a second time. The first was in order to heal him, and the second was in order to confirm his identity and commission him for obedience. Verse 14, Jesus says, See, <laughs> look, you are well. You're whole. In the original, the Greek, it's in the perfect tense, which means it's a once and for all done deal. When Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished, 
He did not have to be on the cross again. It's done. That's the same goal. And he confirms that as his new identity. He's completely functional. It's the same power that Jesus will speak to us when we receive a new life, that regeneration. See, you are a new being once and for all. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus commissions the man for obedience, adding, do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Do not practice sin. We're going to make mistakes every day, every one of us. But this is the willful practice, wholesale, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. So what is happening here? For those who have read John's gospel, you know that in John chapter 9, Jesus breaks the Jewish thinking that connects, if something bad happens, it's because you did something bad. He breaks it and says, no, you did something bad. He breaks it and says, no. If you sin, you do not necessarily get sick. And if you get sick, it does not mean you necessarily sin. So why is Jesus saying to this man, go and do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you? It's because he's given the man a brand new life. Now he wants the man to live his life in order that God is glorified. Otherwise, he wouldn't be whole. One Christian author writes this sentence, which I think is true. There are no happy, disobedient Christians. Would you agree? There are no happy, disobedient Christians. Can we willfully sin against God's will and remain happy about it? And remain happy about it? Jesus says, do not sin anymore. So that nothing worse happens. What could be worse than lying for 38 years as a paralytic? It's living wherever God is not a condition we know as hell. I close with this. I spoke about Brian Stevenson, his legal work with people on death row. In a recent TED Talk, Brian shares about how he became who he is. He attributes it to his grandmother, whom he calls Mama. Mama had ten children, and the youngest was Brian's mother. Mama would grab each of her grandchildren in her big arms and hug them until they thought they couldn't breathe. Brian talks about the day he was sitting on the mother, was sitting in her chair, looking at him. There were many people in the living room coming and going. She had her eyes on him and he would look up at her periodically and see that and smile. He thought it was just a little game they had going on until he realized she was quite serious in her look at him. She called Brian over to the chair and took him in her arms and said, Brian, I've been watching you. I think you are special. You can do whatever you want to do in life. You can do whatever you want to do. You are special, Brian. Therefore, I want you to do what is right, even when it's the hard thing to do.
Will you promise me you'll do that? Brian grew up wanting to be who Mama saw in him. He wanted to do the right thing, even when it was the hard thing. And Jesus asks each of us, do you want to become whole? I'll give you my righteous life in exchange for your sinful life. And in this meal today, he invites us with that same question. Do you want to be made well? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you come finding us. That's what God does. Thank you that you take care of those who are in need and then you do not leave us in our neediness. You actually give a new life for those. You actually give a new life for those who want it. And so we pray that we may want and that we may receive and that your will would be done in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.